Come see the new quiz show, Go Fact Yourself, with special guests Andy Richter and Fresh Air's Tanya Mosley. It's March 23rd at the Crawford. Get your tickets at las.com slash events. Hi, everyone. This is Retake. I'm your host, John Horn. On this week's episode, an opera about an enslaved Islamic scholar from Michael Abels, the composer of Jordan Peele's horror films. Plus, Tar is writer-director Todd Field's first film in 15 years. He wrote it for Kate Blanchett, and she jumped at the demanding role. Whenever he said, Kate, here's the thing, he, I knew, what's he going to throw at me now? But, you know, he loves the, he loved that. Well, it was, it was really fun to see. It was like playing Stump the Jock with her. He's like, what could I give her that she couldn't handle? And, and it was became, like, very challenging. But first, here's my retake for this week. It sounds unimaginable, but sadly, it wasn't. Earlier this week, in three different courtrooms inside the very same downtown L.A. criminal courts building, three Hollywood veterans faced a reckoning over sexual assault and rape charges. In one courtroom, actor Danny Masterson from that 70s show and The Ranch was on trial for three counts of forcible rape. In another, a judge revoked bail for and jailed writer-producer Eric Weinberg, whose credits include Scrubs and Veronica's Closet, who is facing 18 counts of rape, forcible oral copulation, sexual battery, and false imprisonment. And last and hardly least, witnesses started testifying in Harvey Weinstein's trial for 11 counts of rape, forcible oral copulation, and sexual battery, among other charges. It's easy to look at the three cases not only as a small sign of progress, regardless of verdicts, three defendants are being held to account, but also grim proof that sexual assault allegations in show business aren't dissipating. More disturbing, though, are the tactics being used to marginalize the accusers, which in the Weinstein trial narrowly falls somewhere between loathsome and indefensible. Weinstein's defense lawyer, Mark Worksman, in his opening statement said, the sequel to The Casting Couch is the Me Too trial, adding that Weinstein's alleged victims will play the part of the damsel in distress. It was all transactional sex, Worksman said, even if it might have been unpleasant and embarrassing for the women. They had consensual sex with Mr. Weinstein because they wanted to exploit their connection with Mr. Weinstein, Worksman said. He didn't stop there. Actor and filmmaker Jennifer Siebel Newsom is accusing Weinstein of raping her in 2005. But don't be fooled, Worksman told the jury early this week. She's really a Hollywood wannabe, and had she not married Governor Gavin Newsom, Worksman said, she'd be just another bimbo who slept with Harvey Weinstein to get ahead. Words fail. Maybe the system won't. Coming up, writer-director Todd Field and actress Kate Blanchett on their new film, Tar. Imagine if you could charge your electric vehicle at the places you already love to eat, shop, and play. Whether you're at the movies, on your weekly grocery trip, or running errands at your local mall, Volta EV charging stations are built around your day-to-day and located in your community and nationwide. All you have to do is check in, plug in, and go about your day. 
It's EV charging made convenient. Download the Volta app to find your new favorite place to charge. What does it take to be the very best? Is it purely talent? Does it also require dedication and ambition or, as an extreme, a kill or be killed mindset? And what happens to the people who get in the way? All of those questions percolate in the new movie Tar. Written and directed by Todd Field, the movie stars Kate Blanchett as Lydia Tar. She's a headstrong classical music composer and conductor at a prominent European symphony. While Blanchett's character is clearly gifted, she's also a professional and personal mercenary. And as the movie proceeds, she casts aside and punishes a number of people. I spoke with Todd Field and Kate Blanchett recently about Tar and what it has to say about power structures and the creative process. Here's our conversation. Conducting is such a um, mysterious art form because the audience sees the conductor's back and they're, because they're ahead, they're always a breath ahead of the music, they look strangely sort of... Um, out of sync. Out, out of sync. Yeah. And so people think, what do they do? Do they beat time? But they, they, it's a, the, you use everything in your arsenal to communicate what you hear inside your head. And it should be obvious. But what I found fascinating in preparing for the film in those conducting sections was that you rehearsed and prepare in silence. So I listen to everybody's and their dog's version of the Mahler Fifth and all of Mahler's other symphonies. But in the end, you have to find your own way, your own rhythm, your own interpretation. And, you know, whether it's a facial posture, you look at um, recordings of um, Bernstein uh, visual recordings, and sometimes when he gets to the adagetto, in performance, he doesn't move. He is just there, and his presence is, is enough to elicit that sound from the audience. Todd, as a storyteller, what does classical music, and specifically a character who's a conductor, give you that another character who could be, you know, a baker, an executive, a lawyer, doesn't? Well, I mean, this film is an examination of power and power structures and sort of um, the sort of two-way streets that people travel on and trade in power. So to have this character sitting at the top of a of a very clear visual pyramid literally you know standing at the fulcrum mm. in front of a hundred people is fairly cinematic you know beyond that um classical music you know is anyone that's read the news uh, the last few years you know has been sort of embroiled in some sea change for good reason and, and it's a very it's a it's a sort of glacial rate of change let's put it that way especially are you talking about Europe. about me too and about people who have lost uh, their jobs or more than yeah that? abuse of people that yeah. have, have, have behaved badly and abused power and these things have been going on forever you know from the very beginning from the first time anyone ever stood on a podium and and, and had that kind of power so yeah, I mean, she. this character could have been CEO of a major organization. She could have been sitting in all kinds of power structures. But this is sort of a very simple audio-visual way to sort of dramatize that. But also I think something something very powerful and magnificent is moving through her. I mean, you look at great artists, it is. And she's trying to achieve this thing of through in years and years of, of, of profound discipline and deep, deep rigor – uh, to push herself and therefore the orchestras that she stood in front of outside their comfort zone. And I know myself, um, any time that I've ever approached anything that has 
shifted me into a new gear as, as, a, as an actor, it has been deeply, deeply uncomfortable. And there has been, you know, a lot of raised voices and arguments, respectful often, some not so respectful. But sometimes, you know, it's, it's a, the film doesn't answer that question, but it is, does ask what is permissible when you're searching for trying to make something truly great. I want to hear more about what you're talking about in the past, about how those experiences might have influenced your performance here. Definitely. I mean, definitely. And I, I mean, I've been in many, many rehearsal rooms where, where there have been tears, where there have been, you know, walkouts, you know, where there had to be reconciliations. And I've also, in my career, been involved in the intervention of the HR department, which is now, you know, bigger and bigger and bigger. And there are, you know, a lot of abuses of power that I have witnessed and experienced myself. And it's, it's a very difficult thing because you... You know, when we we understand discipline in um, classical music when you're approaching these magnificent deep works, which you know you have to, you literally have, your fingernails have to be bleeding before you have the right to be able to play those pieces on the piano or on the cello or the violin. And we understand how much people have to push themselves in a physical sense if they're an elite athlete. But when it comes to other art forms, it's, it's a little bit more nebulous, but you're all, you're, well, especially, ahead, especially this, um, and, and, and I think your point is well taken, which is, you know, aside from her sitting on top of some other power structure, the, this is also about the creative process, obviously, right? So um, in a creative process that involves massive amounts of other people, front house and back house. So there's an opportunity there to to see how how that functions and how mm. that works and who benefits from it who benefits yeah exactly there's also something about virtuosity and the ways in which people who are identified as virtuosos and they could be conducting an orchestra they could be running uh S&P 500 company are given leeway because they're good at their jobs and their behavior is excused because they're unique in their talent but often they've forgotten how they've got there. True. You know, and so I think, I mean, I, I'm a big believer if, if you, you know, I think the, the truly great artists that I look at, and this is certainly the case in the classical music world, is of the sense that you therefore must mentor those beneath you. You have a duty of care to bring up artists under, un, underneath you because you, it, it, it keeps you connected to, to the initial struggles and insecurities and problems that you experienced as a younger artist. But there's so many people who find that behavior threatening. They don't want to create their own rivals. They don't want to create people who might somehow eclipse them. But and not so, Todd and I. No, no, no. no, no, no not not us. us. <laughs> We're the good ones. <laughs> I, would say Lydia's, I would say Lydia's mentorship of others comes up short. Is that fair? Well, what I love about Todd's screenplay is it never allows an audience to sit in easy judgment because in a lesser writer's hands, we would have been told exactly what has gone on in the past. We would have been told exactly what these um, relationships entailed and all of those details where it's a little bit of a Rorschach test because an audience says, but she said this. And well, I don't know, did she say that or did she do this? That's sort of, it's, there's a lot of hearsay and gossip, which when you work with an orchestra, an intended orchestra, my God. God, it's like being back at the boarding school. Well, this is something, Todd, that seems very intentional on your part. And I don't know if you wrote these scenes and realized they didn't fit. I'm going to talk about one scene in particular. There's a deposition. We don't see a minute of it, but we know exactly what happened in it. We see its consequences. Mm. A lot of 
filmmakers would show that deposition. You choose not to. Well, there's a, you know you see the, you see the deposition. What you don't see is a meeting with the board later. Right. Um, you see them look up at her, and and that's it. And um, yeah, I just kind of have allergies to procedurals unless I'm watching Law and Order. You know, and and which and is a great show. It's a great show. It's a, it, yeah. but you're also <laughs> letting the audience, like like Kate was saying, you're letting the audience put together the pieces. This did not go well. This board meeting did not go well. We don't need to see it, but we know the result. Yeah, and, and if there's any confusion about that, I, I think that that confusion would probably, you know, be cleared up several scenes later. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. Ang Lee, many years ago, told me about how he chooses movies, and he was going, I don't know if it's from Brokeback, but he was doing Life of Pi. Anyway, he'd done historical movies, he'd done Suburban dramas, like the ice storm. Anyway, he said, I'm not interested in anything unless it scares me. Yeah. And we live in a world in a business where the familiar is much more attractive. It's what studios want to do. And often it's what actors want to do because it's safe. Is there a part of you, and specifically in this movie, that touches on that idea of being attracted to something that, that is scary to you? Todd, I'll start with you. Um, well, I, th I think there's something uh, for this character, Lydia Tarr, that's attracted to things that are dangerous. That's kind of what, she, ultimately, that that is sort of um, where she winds up where she is. She she wants to feel alive again. She's at a place where she's sort of cresting this mountain, and she looks beyond, and, and there's maybe another mountain, but she's turning 50, and, and maybe she won't make it to that other peak. You know, so but what about you as a filmmaker? You're talking about the character. I'm talking to you about as a filmmaker. I'm going to push you back get a really, You're going to get really confessional here, John. Yeah. Um, um, as a filmmaker, asking a different question. As, as a filmmaker, um, yeah, I, I, you know, um, I mean, there's all sorts of danger. But in terms of something like this, I mean, what compelled me to write it in the first place, where I was really struggling with um, with a lot of questions and looking for language to to help either have some kind of continuity with other people about those questions or, or even have some kind of dialogue, even if it was a debate. And I found that I was having a hard time finding that. It felt like it was a really scary thing for, for the world or at least for America, you know? Um, so in terms of this project, for sure, I, yeah, I mean, I, when I turned the script and I said to the studio, you don't want to make this. And they said, no, 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 we want to make it. I said, no, you understand this is this is potentially really dangerous stuff. And they said, yeah, but we want to make it. And I said, okay, because... Were you they, relieved that they said yes or a little bit terrified <laughs> that they said yes? No, I, I was really terrified. Yeah, no, I'm being... Uh, you know, yeah, no, for sure. I, it... Um, you know, it was such a it was such an odd period because it started at the beginning of the lockdown, the first lockdown. Right. Um, and, and I think there's been this year we've seen a lot of really interesting, um, different kinds of work from from filmmakers, you know, and dangerous work in different ways from people. And I think a lot of that came out, out of the lockdown where everybody kind of thought like, OK, the world's ending. What the hell? Let's go, you know. Um, so. So, yeah, in, in this case, for sure. Yeah, it felt like there was a, um, a level of um, of risk for it. Yeah. And as the conductor, Kate, you get the last word. Ah, I get the last word about terror and excitement. After years and years and years of working in the theatre, I've somehow, for better or for worse, managed to um, confuse excitement and terror and tell myself that, you know, it's the same energetic place, isn't it? That, and rather than 
being frightened, I'm excited. And I've never felt more alive doing this. It seemed to be bringing up, and in ways that surprised me every single day, things that I didn't even know I'd been thinking about. Because we haven't processed. I mean, we've come out of the pandemic. We know we might be going back into a pandemic, and my God, there's more to come, given what we're doing to the planet. But we, you know, we, we haven't even processed Black Lives Matter or Me Too, and they've already become pejorative terms. And we, we, we really need to keep examining these things in nuanced, collective ways. And so I found that the in a very human way, all those things were brought up. But then, of course, there was the, you know, the physical demands that, that Todd, you know, whenever he said, Kate, here's the thing, he, I knew, what's he going to throw at me now? But, you know, he loves that. He loved that. You'd be an excellent tennis player. Well, it was it was really fun to see. It was like playing stump the jock with her, you know. Um, it was like, what could I give her that she couldn't handle? And and it was it became like very challenging. And the truth was is that there was really nothing that I could throw at her that souffle. she wouldn't take. I can't cannot cook a souffle. To <laughs> we cannot make a souffle. <laughs> Kate and Todd, thank you so much for your time. Thank, thank you, John. Thank Thanks. you. Thanks. That was actor Kate Blanchett and writer-director Todd Field. Their new movie, Tar, is in theaters now. Coming up, Michael Abels is best known as Jordan Peele's go-to composer. His latest project is made for the stage. At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts. And finally, here's my weekly entertainment news chat with KPCC Morning Edition host Suzanne Watley. This time, it's about a trip to the opera. Welcome, John, and happy belated birthday. Uh, Thank you very much. As the saying goes, you're only as old as you feel, and I don't feel a day older than 30. I feel many, many years older than 30, but uh, thank you. As we say in our household, onward and downward. Oh, okay. So that that (laughs) creaking that I heard when you walked in the door. That was the chair. That that was was the chair. That wasn't my knee. (laughs) So, John, we talk a lot about movies and television and Hollywood, but today I understand you want to talk about something a bit different. That is correct. And the subject is opera. And wait a second, because this is opera that's very unlike what you might typically associate with opera. The show is called Omar, and it's currently playing at the L.A. Opera. It was written by two incredibly talented musicians. You might know them from other work. Michael Abels is best known for his film music. He is Jordan Peele's composer. He wrote the music for Get Out, Us, and Nope. And the woman who co-wrote the opera and the libretto for it is Rihanna Giddens. She plays banjo, guitar, violin. She sings folk, country, blues, jazz, pretty much everything, both as a solo artist and with her band, which you should check out, the Carolina Chocolate Drops. And Michael Abels told me about how he and Giddens met. She invited me to hear her perform at Disney Hall. And like anyone who sees her perform, I instantly became a huge Rhiannon Giddens fan and was blown away and had a wonderful time. And I went backstage 
And she said, do you want to write an opera with me? And I said, yes, absolutely. <laughs> when do we start? What's it about? <laughs> All right. Well, that sounds like a very serendipitous meeting and origin story for this opera. What is Omar about? It's a good question. Omar is based on the life of Omar bin Said. He was an Islamic scholar. He was captured in what is now Senegal, packed into a slave ship to South Carolina, where he was enslaved in 1807 for the rest of his life. And while a captive, Omar wrote several Arabic language books and essays, including an autobiography that tells the story of his childhood education, capture, enslavement, and his coerced conversion to Christianity. And given the story and its authors, I have to assume this does not sound like Mozart or Puccini. Very much not. Omar is someone who goes geographically from one place to another and yet brings his culture. And that's what every enslaved person did. So you, just as the character comes from one setting to another, you want to bring the character's music and culture along with everything else that comes with them. So the music we did for Senegal is very Senegalese-influenced um, and also Islamic-influenced in from the larger diaspora. Um, but that music stays with Omar through the opera, regardless of his physical location. That was Michael Abel's talking about the music. It's amazing music. I'm speaking with KPCC's arts and entertainment reporter John Horn about L.A. Opera's West Coast premiere of Omar, about an African scholar who becomes enslaved. John, what part of this opera really stuck with you? Well, I really love this section from the first act of Omar. I'm getting goosebumps listening to this, and you can hear what sounds like a blend of gospel and black spiritual music, and there's this repeated phrase, how long, and as the song goes on, how long starts to break down, so it's how long, how long, and then what Omar hears is Allah, which is the word for God in Arabic. And it's really to say that opera overall is very, very white. More than 80% of the audience is white, and people of color rarely get to write or perform operas for major companies. There's Terrence Blanchard, who has a new opera. There's Rihanna Giddens and uh, Mark Abels. And that's about it. So when Omar opens, the first thing you see on stage are 20 black performers, and it was stunning. So go see it yourself. It's playing at the L.A. Opera this weekend and through November 13th. And that's at the Music Center? It is at the Dorothy Chandler Pavilion. All right. Uh, home of the L.A. Opera. KPCC's John Horn, thanks so much as always. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Retake. We'll see you again next week. I'm John Horn. Retake is produced and engineered by Michael Cosentino and Monica Bushman. The editor is Suzanne Levy. The associate producer is Sabir Brara, with production assistance this week from Tyler Wayne. And a special thanks to the entire KPCC LAS newsroom. Hey, it's Brian, the host of How to LA, a podcast that is a love letter to Los Angeles. Independent movie theaters are having a glow-up moment. Vidiot's and Eagle Rock, amazing. We have our friends at the American Cinematheque. The Vista just reopened. In our new series, Revival House, we'll take you inside these spots and share their history. Because movie history is LA history. Listen to Revival House on How to LA wherever you listen to podcasts.